0: sean kelly here welcome to the digital social hour podcast i'm here with my co-host wayne lewis what up what up and our guests today michael and brian voltaggio what's up guys the rock star chefs are in the building first chefs what do y'all have against <laughs> chefs <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. i love I chefs love Just Me too. i mean they give us food they nourish our bodies <laughs> i love them everyone needs a chef right everybody now what you up? have two right yeah but you guys are rock stars so that's a different level of you know, art right there. Yeah. You've dedicated your lives to this, right? Yeah, we're
1: just cooks. That's it.
0: <laughs> we're, we're just cooks. cooks. We're just the cooks. <laughs> what age did you guys start
1: cooking? Uh, I mean, I think what, fourteen, fifteen years old. Fourteen, yeah. Uh-huh. Age, He's yeah. two years older than me. I had to work under him my first time. Okay, that went Wait, kind so, of well. Or at not fourteen,
0: well. you guys wasn't playing kickball. Y'all were like no, whipping stri- up in the kitchen. You know, we
1: were
2: straight up working because, um, you know, we wanted to have things. You know, when you grow up, you know, really well off. So. Right. You no, know, we want to buy clothes have cars mm. you know so we went to work at 14 years old just to start saving up and doing mm. that and we found ourselves rolling into the kitchen because it was fun there's family um there's enough hours to work right. uh, you know because we could work at night right know, in the restaurant industry so
1: it's kind of but i think that work ethic that we have like we we were joking when we got here we've been working like 120 hours a week and yeah. that's that's real like we've been yeah. doing that but mm. what's funny is we were working like that in high school like we'd go to school then I played football, so I'd go to football practice. Right. Then I'd get off football practice, go to work, work another like seven hour shift, mm-hmm. go home, go to bed, and get up and do it all over again. Wow. To the point, like by the time I was 16, I moved out of the house, I had my own apartment. I was in high school, Wow! having my own place to live. Like crazy. it was wild. It yeah, was like, wild. so I had responsibilities yeah, yeah, when I was yeah. 16 years old. Wow! And I think I've just, we've had the same job ever since. It's just different kitchens, mm. different menus and different, different people. Uh, and did your parents get you guys into cooking or how did that start? I mean, food
2: was always a big part of our family. Like mm-hmm. Mom made sure we sat down every day at 530 or so and had dinner mm-hmm. together, you know. Um, you know, so I think that that appreciation for food definitely carried through in our career. I think yeah. we started cooking because money was a motivator at the time when right. we were teenagers. Right. Right. Um, but then it became a passion. Like then then we got to a point where both Michael and I decided we're going to make a career out of this. Mm. Um, he went off and did an apprenticeship at a Greenbrier in, in West Virginia and a pretty – you know, obviously an amazing resort and well-known program. And I went to the Culinary Institute of America in New York. So we kind of like split off at that time. That's when we both left. But then we still
1: had, while doing that, had to find other ways to hustle to like financially support ourselves. Like Brian was delivering Domino's pizza while he was (laughs) at the most prestigious culinary school. I would hang out in the (laughs) mountains and like butcher deer in like somebody's front yard to like make enough money to get through the winter. Like Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like just the grind of – and I, I feel like that really our work ethic is, and I keep saying that, but mm. like hard work is is what yeah. it takes. I mean, mm. people are like, how did you get to do this? How did you get to do that? And it's mm. like when everyone
0: else was at the bar, we were at work. Right, right. And so-, so y'all had no social life coming up pretty much. Uh,
2: I mean, a little bit. It still a fit in bit. some time, but not, <laughs> not, not the greatest. I mean, definitely yeah. really more in high school and stuff, as Michael was saying. You know, on Saturday night, we were cooking in a kitchen until yeah, 10 yeah. o'clock at night. We weren't out, like, you know, at the, you know the party after the football
1: game. Our you know, social course. hour was between, like, midnight and 8 a.m. Right. So wow. you had to, like, you had to fit it in. <laughs> midnight you know? and 8 a.m. Yeah, and nothing happens between midnight yeah. and 8 a.m. So yeah. like... That's late. What's the
0: difference yeah. between an apprenticeship and culinary school?
1: Well, I think for me, I just didn't want to follow the same path as Brian. And so, yeah. and I where he paid to go to school, basically, and did that, like I said, delivering pizzas, yeah, yeah. I got paid to do my apprenticeship. And so it was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to take this route. And so you go work at a hotel, mm-hmm. they have this sort of mapped out education yeah. trajectory for you to learn every station. But what was funny is I thought I knew a lot before I got there. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm going to this resort in the mountains in West Virginia. I'm going to be great. I'm going to be a star. I was like 19 years old. And like on the first day, like, I was making like veal stock and I like move the vegetables in this like wave of oil just went over my hand and i rem- i burned my entire hand damn. and i remember like not being able to say anything because i didn't want them to send me home or i didn't want to get sent yeah, to like yeah. the emergency room or whatever so i had to like hold a kitchen towel over my hand and it stuck into my burn and by the end of the night i had to like peel it out of my burn because oh, i didn't want to go to damn. my boss and be like because i was so arrogant and cocky at the yeah. time and then I was like, dang, I have so much to learn right now. And so my career really started
0: there at that point. You know, it was like, okay, I don't know shit. So, what actually broke you is that the moment where you had that breaking point where, damn, I got to. I think when I was learn. pulling kitchen towel out of my hand, I was like, okay, I, <laughs> I have gotta a gotta lot to learn right there. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Wow. And From do
2: you think school culinary did. school was the right move for you? I mean, I, th- I think it got me to where i am now to open up mm. a door that i'd never thought that i would go to which was new york city mm. um because i was upstate new york i was able to go down on weekends and actually start to do what's called a stage where you go in and, and working kitchens to get right. experience and also hopefully get a job and then i did my apprenticeship program um at a restaurant called oriole ironically it's a restaurant we took over here in mm. vegas mm. um and it, where i got to meet uh chef charlie palmer and that's that's where i kind of got my start in new exactly. york I don't think I would have ever thought, as a young cook coming out of Maryland, Frederick, Maryland, to 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 go to New York City, yeah, and you know, think that I had a resume to get in the door. That's
0: like a dream, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it is. I mean, yeah. it's like
2: felt like big leagues, right? Yeah, but then at that point, though, I realized that after I've you know this this many years in, really, it's just the hard work, dedication, yeah. and being there and, and, and willing to learn as a young cook. You mm-hmm. don't have to go to culinary school. You don't have to do an apprenticeship program. You can, if you have the means, definitely mm. it's gonna open up more doors. Yeah. But if you're great at what you do and you wanna learn, just come knock on our door. Mm.
0: Right? You know? So when, when, when did you guys get to the point where you actually started to experiment and create your own styles and your own taste and, like, you know, just kind of experiment with the food that, you know, mm-hmm. you guys are making.
2: Well, I think early on in our careers, we're definitely, you know, it's an ego driven sort of thing. Yeah. Be a chef, right? You're creating dishes, you know, sometimes for yourself versus your guests. And I think there's been a transformation in our careers to where we are now. And it would be in like our early 30s. You know, we both had our own restaurants and, like, you know, yeah. we're, you know, trying to make a name, right? Um, now we, we take cues from our guests, you know, now we're like, what, what are our guests looking for? We're more of a guest driven experience versus being a chef driven. But it's hard
1: though, because as creatives, you, you, you want your creative process to inspire yourself, but you have to do it in a way where you're going to inspire the people that you're doing it for. And I think as you mature through any creative industry, like that's the, you have to connect with your audience, right? Or if you leave them behind, then that's a portion of the people that, could have been coming in to experience whatever it is that you're trying to communicate to them and so i feel like once we got we started we tried to be too creative early on yeah and then being
0: too creative (laughs) well Well, because i
1: feel like you you're creative for creative sake and sometimes it doesn't translate into what you're doing and so you leave people out because you want to show them this one technique that you learned how to do yeah but if it doesn't taste good you shouldn't be doing it or if it's not better than the original Mm -hmm. dish that you're sort of reinventing then why did you reinvent it and so like when we talk about like retro we have a caesar salad on our menu and i just posted this on my ig the other day it was like caesar salad was created almost 100 years ago in tijuana mexico Mm -hmm. and everyone thinks about caesar salad they're like that's italian food like it was created in mexico i thought that was and so we we at retro we're adding a little bag of parmesan reggiano churros Mm to sort of bring those two dishes together mm. or those two cultures together right. in the same dish okay. and remind people like there is history behind the food you're eating mm. there is a story behind mm. it and so like a lot of the food we're cooking now we're trying to build the dishes off of a foundation so that we can tell those stories mm. our way gotcha. and so i mean for this project that we're doing here in Vegas and the fact that that's the reason why we're sitting here is a couple of your your boys came yeah. in the other night and had it yeah. like that's what we want to happen. Gotcha. We want people to stumble in there and be like, wait, what is this? Oh, shit! wow, yeah. this is great. This yeah. is, and and have fun and be engaged in how we sort of flip the space, how we flip the menu and how we're telling our story right now.
0: Yeah. i seen that he cooked uh, fried chicken and cornflakes. Really? And I, I was like, wow. I've never had that before. But it so makes sense you because you think
1: about cereal has sugar in it. Not yeah. that I'm trying to promote sugar right now. Right, but like, right, right. for We used to make this cold fried chicken sandwich. And yeah. like when you fry chicken that's breaded in cornflakes and then you let it sit out and it gets cold, that yeah. sugar is caramelized now because you fried it. So now all of a sudden you get that crunch. And like mm. this is what I'm talking about, how, you know, our creative process has shifted yeah. from how do we make it obvious that we're being creative to like. Wait, how did they how did they get it to just do that part? Yeah, know? and yeah, that's that's, that's more where our minds are at now. Mm,
2: that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I've heard great things about retro, and you guys are partnered with MGM. How did that mm. partnership happen? Well, our partnership started back in well, twenty fifteen is when we got um, started the conversation. There's a, a you know a big resort that they were building in um, National Harbor area, which is just in Oxon Hill, just outside of Washington D.C. Both Michael and I from Maryland, it was kind of a natural fit. They came to us and said, hey, you know, we want to build a steakhouse. You know, Michael and I then came back to them and said, Wait a minute, we want to build a steakhouse. Mm-hmm. Like rooms of a house. Like you're coming over to dinner at the Voltaggio Brothers house and having steak. Yeah. So um they It's
1: a lot they... nicer than any house we ever lived. <laughs> yeah, <before. laughs> but, like sure. we, we were like steakhouse and they're like, Yeah, you guys have the steakhouse. We're mm-hmm. like, No, we want a steak house. We mm-hmm. want a house. And they were like living room, kitchen, dining room, library, which I don't I've never had a library before. It sounded like an important room to yeah, have in the yeah, house. Right, right. And we were like, okay these this company gets it like they're gonna put the support Mm -hmm. behind us to like whatever we can dream up they'll bring it to life Mm -hmm. and then fast forward to how many years later we did a couple pop-ups at bellagio we Mm -hmm. tested some things to see how we would do here in las vegas Mm -hmm. and they were like how about a spot at mandalay bay and we'll Mm -hmm. do it as like a residency and you guys can sort of be here for as long as this concept should or could be here for and so we Mm -hmm. thought up retro which was you know, it's kind of a nod to like back to Brian said earlier, it was about the ritual of dining, the ritual of sitting down at the dinner table mm-hmm. and having all those like sort of conversations around food with our mom. Right. She made casseroles. She made mom food. She mm-hmm. made like Frito pie and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Right. Right. And we were like, how do we sort of go back to that moment yeah. when we did first start? feeling like what food could make us feel like and why we were doing it and the people we were enjoying it with how do we create that vibe your origin and that yeah, yeah exactly origin, and yeah. so we even found like those white casseroles with the blue flowers the corning wear, like yeah. vintage ones from all around the country and we told the host, like mgm was like let us help you source stuff and then the conversation kept going they were like what about sporks what about yeah. like little boxes that you could serve like we we wanted to make general snails like we're making escargot and mm. the flavor of general taos chicken so we're like wow. general so chicken wow. as snails i would eat that and then we're making like a bowl of anymore. seaweed rice with it so yeah. everything just sort yeah. of like sometimes got inspired by the vessel or the idea mm. but the whole experience every single dish is nostalgic mm. and i think yeah. that we live in a time now where you have to sort of approach a situation with like inspiration not intimidation yeah. so we're like trying and to do take it like some
0: risks because that's a totally different menu because most, like yeah. you said, we go, we go to most places and it's pretty much the same style. Like, yeah. you know, we order, I mean, I'm ordering salmon and mash everywhere I go and lobster Mac, you know, but in this, in this instance, it's like a totally different menu. It's you got to right. think about what you want or try everything on there. Well, I mean, we made also, shells
1: and cheese. Yeah, and you so also if you can't... want his lobster Mac, like come get our lobster
0: <laughs> thermidor and get our shells and cheese where
1: we hand make all the shells individually. Wow. And then we have a cloud of, aerated cheese sauce that we make that comes out of a siphon that like... You got to come... You got
0: (laughs) to... Yeah, no, that's you also weird. can't and no one can deny the fact whether it, it. Yeah, yeah, really
2: yeah. be growing up in childhood college whatever yeah, that you yeah. haven't had a can of spaghettios right yeah, yeah. and so what we've done is we've recreated that you know mm. sort of childhood experience right, that we've right. had and i'm not saying you know, i haven't not had one in a long time too because maybe i had one a few weeks ago <laughs> but ours is different so R&D. we do is make these yeah r&d right so we make this you know giant meatball that we mm-hmm. place in the center of it made with you know veal pork and 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 really great wagyu beef and mm. then uh, at the table, what we do is we make all of these O's and we hand make, you mm. know, this pasta and then we put it in an Arabiata sauce, which is, um, basically Pomodoro with just enriched with brown butter. And then we pour that table side out of the can. Mm. So you still get kind of that feeling that you, you had, like, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah. then when you bite into it, it's like, this is the Way version, better. but it brings you right back <laughs> yeah, to childhood. Yeah, that That's great. Great.
1: Yeah. How important is food presentation to you guys? I think with this concept, it was less about it was more about like the vessels and like the reminders Mm -hmm. of where the dish came from than like, and then ironically enough, like Brian and I, we are the architecture of the food that we do Mm -hmm. always has like some little nuance, some little texture, Mm -hmm. some little surprise on it that like makes it look different. Yeah. Like our key lime pie, we're making them look like little limes on a plate and we're spraying cocoa butter on the outside that's Mm -hmm. green. And so we've got like three little limes on a plate. And then we were like, well, when you eat key lime pie, you eat it at the beach. So right. let's make some sand out of coconut. And so the key oh, limes are sitting in coconut sand. And then it's mm-hmm. like coconut sorbet. And then we're like, what about the meringue part? But like whipped up egg whites sometimes don't taste good. So what if we make whipped up yuzu juice and stabilize it with a starch and dehydrate it so that you get the meringue. But it's that just something disappears on your palate. Yeah. <laughs> you hear this, <laughs> well, we like <laughs> You know when you have that hamster on the wheel in your brain that's like yeah, running like this. Yeah. And
0: sometimes you have to tell it to just slow down a yeah. little bit. But, but these, how, how do you guys turn that off? Like at home, like who hmm. who cooks? You or the wife? Oh, like how are yeah, you gotta do go guys go got to go. do, do? chefs have to date chefs? Like how, it, <laughs> how, how does this work?
2: I mean, we definitely cook differently. When we're at home, you know, more like one, two, you know, three ingredient dishes. You yeah, know, yeah. you know, more on the simple side. Things you want to eat when you're you know comfortable yeah. at home. Okay. Uh, so you guys uh, do turn it off. Uh, the creative yeah, fire. Yeah, but sometimes. well, I mean, just because we save a lot of it for the restaurants. You know, back yeah, to like yeah. the techniques. You know. A lot of the technique early on in our career, we did it because of the, the for the technique. You know, going back to that key lime pie, that meringue you are just talking Yuck, about. Yeah. We know now how to put together textures and flavors that make sense. Like we're gotcha. we're looking for inspiration, going back, looking at the dish and recreating it. And yeah, we can pepper in these things because now we're good at what we right. do. You know what mm. I mean? When it comes to that, I'm not saying, it, but you know what I mean, you know, and putting the dish together. And so we're able to to use all of those tools we've learned over the last like combined 50 years mm. of experience that we have. And make dishes make sense
0: how, how at home guys... sometimes we have to like kind of turn that part yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know what I, I mean how, how do you guys actually um you guys even do you guys ever worry about will this resonate with the consumer like mm-hmm. is this going to be good to them how do you guys decipher like is this the play or is this not the play? should we just keep it original like how do you i think
1: that question the risk is is the best question yeah. because yeah. i
0: think being able to do
1: that part mm-hmm. is is what made us is, it's what makes retro make a lot of sense, right. because we did ask those questions, because we knew who our audience was sort of going to be when we came, or who okay. we were going to go after, and it wasn't just a select group of people. Right. We wanted to get everybody. Mm. We're like, how do you create a concept that's going to leave no one behind? Right, right, right. Whatever reason you're in Las Vegas, whatever occasion it is, whether you're with your kids or you're a bachelor party or whatever it is, how does this concept? how how do you make it attractive to everyone and accessible to everyone right and without breaking the bank too it's like maybe we make all these intricate things and we put them together in a way that's like where it's connecting to a dish or something they've had before but also put it in the middle of the table so everyone can share it so you're now not like committing to this one dish this is mine and everyone just like Mm -hmm. family style that's Mm -hmm. yeah it's family style Mm -hmm. but so then we were like well the vessels need to like lean into that part of the experience as well and so even the plate when you sit down in front of you is a ceramic paper plate looking like the like the old flimsy white paper plate (laughs) that you would have at a backyard barbecue we're like these are the plates that you eat off of and the food's gonna hit the middle of the table and so we thought we tried to think about every single thing but we also turned the space around in two weeks time yeah yeah and the the fact that the hotel i mean everyone from their creative team to their like techie digit like i don't know all the different departments yeah. but i would say it was all hands on deck even down to like sourcing the plates a lot of it came from dead stock that it, they took out the of tweets. service from old hotels in with vegas tweets.
2: wow i mean there's there's a lot of planning leading up to it i mean we started really in march you know getting ready for this with you know countless meetings you know on, mm-hmm. on zoom and you know teams and you know that part the fun part about that was was seeing the enthusiasm of the team like mm, it was yeah. it was a meeting that everybody wanted to log on to right, that's right? What we weren't dreading so yeah. Yeah, yeah so every week there was just like there was something new there's a new idea there was a you know a, a biggest thing i think that we we're worried about was how we we're going to take an existing space and transform it and make it ours the art our mm-hmm. team just did an incredible job because everybody knows that iconic wine tower that's there right it's been mm-hmm. there for 20 years when mm-hmm. it was a former space Now what they've done is they've basically made it into a museum piece. Like it's a curated piece of like everything you would find, like, you know, um, inspiration of, 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 you know, items like, you know, Nintendo's and skateboarding and things we kind of grew up with, you know, back in the eighties and the nineties. And it's, so there's four sides of this thing that, you know, you want to go in and see it and walk all the way around it and take photos Mm. of it. And so, um, it's just it, it was just an incredible transformation. So yeah, there's a lot of planning, but then when it when we hit the ground and the work had to start, it's two weeks. Th- it was two weeks. Wow. <laughs> it was two that's weeks. Quick, wow. and we wow. filled all of those hours of yeah. every day for sure. Why do you
1: yeah, think a lot hard. of restaurants fail? Oof. I mean, a lot of it is obviously you know with with what's happening with the economy in general now. When you think about it, you go to the grocery store, you see the cost of food has gone up, the cost of labor, mm-hmm. just just for the home cook but now apply that to the restaurant and then add the occupancy costs, the labor costs, all the other things and you're taking a you're talking about a business where if you had a 10% margin you're celebrating. You're like, yeah, we put 10% to the bottom line. Right. Well, now as things get more expensive, that 10% turns into 5%, turns mm-hmm. into 0%, turns into negative percent. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, it's like restaurant prices haven't really been able to increase in a way like everything else. Right. You go to the store and you're like, oh, this steak used to cost $5 a pound. Now it's $15 a mm-hmm. pound. But if you go to a restaurant and you're like, this dish used to cost $10. Now it's $50. It's like that part of it, people haven't really quite wrapped their heads around mm-hmm. yet. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that like restaurant Restaurants don't necessarily get to increase their prices as fast as everything else without losing their customer base. Mm. But then you talk about real estate. I mean, that has gone through the roof. We even noticed that after the pandemic, we saw real estate just go. I think a lot of real estate developers and hotels, and I think you look at like MGM right now, they really have the power to keep this industry alive because Mm. they have the infrastructure to support people that want to get into this industry. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're building a massive office building – what better attraction than have a great restaurant? go find a young chef that doesn't have the means or the capital to open their own restaurant mm-hmm. and invest in them so that you're investing in your own building with another amen- amenity amen. for the building it's a and I think for sure yeah, and I think it's like to hit him with rent, hit him with labor, hit him with food, hit him with all the other additional costs mm-hmm. it's getting harder and harder for restaurants. To not only survive, but to do it at a level that people expect you to do it at. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, I was upset when Chipotle raised their prices. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it back to that, I mean, I remember cooking in New York in, in late 90s, early 2000s. And, you know, the price of a three-course menu, like yeah. on average, is like $90. Right. right. Yeah. It hasn't changed. Mm. You even go back to New York City right now, Pre few menus are, you know, you see that more in that market, I think, you know, mm-hmm. where it's multi-course set price they maybe have increased 10 20 mm-hmm. but it's know? not like
1: it's gone up to 400 dollars. yeah,
2: yeah. Right. so you know but so it's just like the the threshold of what the consumer will will you know absorb yeah. which is quite not there
0: for the the rate of you know our costs going mm-hmm. on so know? how do so, you guys mitigate your losses when it comes to shifts and economic times and i think you have and... to listen to your customer
1: base it's... and you have to react you right. know people are always like "Well, do you read Yelp or do you read these things? Do you read these platforms where people are talking about right. you? Mm. You shouldn't read it because you'll get upset. Right. <laughs> but I think you have to because you have to look for consistencies in the threads. And if you start to see things that are repeated, mm. you have a responsibility to react to that and correct that. Mm. And oh, so I think you
0: actually read the Yelp oh, I to, do it uh, to
1: look for those consistencies. If somebody's uh, like the I mashed mean, potatoes are too salty <laughs> over and over yeah. again, then it's my, it's my job to yeah. go taste the mashed potatoes right. and talk to the person in charge of that. And say, hey, we got to dial back the salt. Wow! Twelve people have said that the mashed potatoes are salty, and I think that wow. you have to
0: you have to put your customer base in front of your own ego, wow. and you have to listen to that. I wonder how many business owners actually do that, especially chefs. That's like that removes you're removing the ego completely and getting straight down to appeasing a consumer like because well, back you know, in the day to, like a server would bring a dish back to the yeah. kitchen and be like the guest didn't like this and the chef some
1: angry you know person's back there and be like Fuck them they don't know what they're talking about <laughs> but like if it happens four or five times with the same dish then maybe you don't know what you're talking about mm. right and you have to be able to ask yourself that question wow, wow. have you guys ever gotten a one-star review I think I've gotten like a I wish I could one star is the least amount I can give. I wish I could give zero. You know how far away I had to park? And I'm like, We had valet. Right. Like we had it right out front. You didn't want to spend the nine dollars. So. Right. right. and that wow. was like in my first restaurant in LA, we would get some of the wildest stuff. Like
0: so I wish I could give a zero park. Yeah.
1: I'm sorry for that, you know. That's fine. What was it like battling on Iron Chef and Tournament of Champions? I mean, all that stuff that we do, because we do a lot of food competition. I mean, Brian and I did Top Chef, um, Iron Chef. Uh, We had our own show together, Battle of the Brothers. Right Mm -hmm. now I'm filming a show with Bobby Flay called Triple Threat. The competition part, what's interesting about it is it keeps us fresh. You were asking about the creative process. And those environments, it's almost like muscle memory. So when we do these food competitions, it's not like, this is my moment. It's Mm -hmm. more like, this is training my brain to be creative on the fly so that i can bring that yeah. back to my restaurants in my business mm. so it's almost like it's like exercising okay and so we do this not because like i want to be on tv it's mm. more like all right this is a different discipline that we can learn mm. that we can then take back to work and apply to what our yeah. real job is which
0: is being chefs in our restaurants mm. yeah i actually watch uh one of the um uh shows and you don't play like you're about <laughs> your business for real i'm mm. like wow, this is a different backpack. Well, you're also working under
2: a clock too. So you have to, you know, obviously get really great with like timing, you know, a dish and and cooking and techniques. And so that is very relevant in our Mm. world because then it applies to going back to the kitchen and realizing what we can do with our team and how we can build a Mm. dish and make it executable for service. You know, So there's there's so many cues that we could take from the experience we have in competing. Um, And then also just like, Knowing that you're going to be judged instantaneously, and you're getting that that feedback, like, mm-hmm. "Oh, could you use a little bit more acid, a little bit more salt?" You're like, you know, okay, I agree. And then you you continue to now like hone your your skills and your mm-hmm. palate to make sure that you're appeasing, you know, those those judges and those people who are basically picking apart your food. But- In our restaurants, I mean, the good thing about our relationship and how we work as partners yeah. is that. There's, there's, there's definitely a lot of honesty between the two of us when we are putting up a dish in front of each other. Yeah. You know, when we're doing it with our team, our management team, or, you know, you know, even cooks in our kitchen and we're like, Hey, you know, what do you guys think? A lot of times it's a little bit biased, you know. They're not going to like pick apart a dish for somebody you're kind of working for, right? Mm, You know what I mean? Like it's it's harder to get that honesty. You have to like really extract it it from them. them, Even though we're very involved with our team, we want them to have a voice. Sometimes they're just not confident enough to to raise their hand, right? Yeah. There's no bullshit here. You know what I mean? Like we're talking about a dish, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so that that makes it faster for us to get you know dishes to to to, to finale. You know what Mm. I mean? Like where we know it's good enough to hit the menu.
0: What we'll is be the time like, limit? Yeah, uh, we'll, yeah. what is the time limit? Like, if I the, go to the, there to the restaurant, like what's the, how fast should my dish be out? Like, what, what do you guys?
1: We what? always try to get the food out. Well, the thing about this particular concept at Retro, it's like, we want the food to always be hitting the table. So okay, we're not coursing you. it out where it's like, if you order a dish and you order a dish, you're both getting served. We don't want them to hit at the same time because we want you guys to be like, oh, I was gonna get that, okay. And we're sharing this now. And so every five to six minutes, like something else should be coming out Mm. or you should never be sitting without something in front of you. And so the plan was to always have food on the table. And that's, you know, it's kind of like a good metaphor for life, like always, you know, you you gotta have food on the table. table. And and, and so um, we really like thought about it at that level. But, you know, and even back to the competition stuff and all the TVs, I mean, they're all just extra full-time jobs that we keep adding to the roster. Mm -hmm. Like some of the dishes for this restaurant were conceived at 2 a.m. in the kitchen when no one else was around. Mm -hmm. Like the team would – we would be the first ones in and the last ones out. And that's kind of been our our schedule. Like that's in every job that we've had. It's like you don't leave until the job is done.
2: And the benefit of that style of service in a way that we handle the -hmm. flow of food going to the table – Enables us to finish a dish like right at the moment and send it to the table when it's at, you know, its perfect texture. You know, the, 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 the temperatures of the dish are mm. exactly where we want to be. Mm. You know, we're serving um a, a tuna dish, it's a ceviche right now that has a coconut ice that has the flavors of tomkas or um tomkai soup. And so we freeze that um, coconut ice mm-hmm. like at the moment using liquid nitrogen and we don't want that waiting on another dish mm-hmm. you know it hit the table we want that dish going out we the in texture and, and plus the we created the dish that dish perfect. at like two
1: o'clock in the morning yes. dead ass about to get a good fist bite we were in the kitchen like we got to make a tuna dish right now and we were like all right and so i w- like we went and grabbed a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff and we just stopped talking to each other and like an hour later this dish was born and we we're like huh, this is one of the best dishes on the menu. And we've been thinking about this menu for like three months. And we just did this right before we got into like, I mean, it was heated. Because we're like, we'll challenge each other in the moment. I'll really? be like, all right, we're making a tuna dish. What do you have? He's like, whoa, what about this? And like, if we're our brains are going in two different directions, mm-hmm. then we got to figure out how to find that intersection uh, well how do you find that intersection
2: is it crazy the best of both yeah yeah like how, how, what, what do you do it, it can happen in many different ways um you know like we we're working on an octopus dish the very next morning right. we got down there in the kitchen before everybody else even though we we're last uh, you know mm-hmm. night before what 2 30 3 in the morning back down to 8 30 again mm-hmm. and we're like we we have to finish this octopus dish because mm-hmm. we we're going in a completely different direction than the original and then we had to stop and put the brakes on that for a lot of reasons and, you know, we just we, we kind of just dug our heels in and just like went for it.
1: That one, I think, was more, a little bit more collaborative. You, you know, know, that kind go... of anxiety where you feel it going through your veins and your fingertips yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. when you don't quite finish what you wanted to get done and you have to go to bed right. and you can't sleep. Right. If right. you don't figure out the plan, mm-hmm. then you're not going to be sleeping for days. And mm-hmm. so it's almost like your body's telling you, like, yo, figure this dish out or right. figure out this fix this problem. So you can sleep through right. the night. Yeah. Wow. And That's it committed. becomes like that, you That's know? the
0: science, bro. There's science of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and ironically, the last dish that we completed to finish the menu is probably one of our top selling dishes, which is this octopus dish that we did right now. It's a black I love octopus that. with uh, an aioli made with squid ink and um, you know, a saffron vinegar with lots of fennel. It and looks espelet. angry, yes. though.
1: It looks like you can see the fight that we got into <laughs> yeah, on sure. the plate when you see it because it's like this... <laughs> black squid ink and this charred piece of octopus and like this little bit of color on top from this like saffron pickled Mm -hmm. fennel and it's like all right they have a little bit of brightness left but then you taste it and you're like okay i get it like and what
2: makes it retro is this is inspiration from pulper dome who created blackening spice back mm -hmm. in the 90s or 80s and 90s -hmm. and so you know that process of cooking we Mm -hmm. applied to octopus which is very rare like i don't think we've ever seen a blackened octopus you know done in the way that we're doing it but yet All the familiarity of the flavors when you bite into it are there from the original, you know, but it's just done in a completely different way. And yes, there was, you could see the tension in that dish, you know, (laughs) as it came together because of Um, the way it's presented. Sometimes
0: you just got to color outside the the line. What's like the oddest, I would say animal or dish you guys never like had to put together was just like, how do we even like? from like either the ocean or land like what i used to have this show
1: i used to travel around the world to conflict zones and mm -hmm. like bring two opposing sides together around the dinner table people that had war with each other so Mm -hmm. i went to like wanda egypt israel sri lanka cambodia sarajevo all these different places when i was in i think it was cambodia there was this woman on the side of the road selling pig parts but like this little boiling cauldron of pig parts (laughs) and she was like first the eyeball so I ate that and Ooh. the juice like squirt in my mouth no. I was having like a moment and then it was like and then it was like pig roof of mouth is what she called it so if naturally you take your tongue and lick the roof of your mouth right. imagine someone handing that to you and being like try this and you put it in your mouth and you just think about that part of the, <laughs> the animal of because mouth. the Pig roof of there was no other name for it. It was pig roof of mouth. So that was, I think, the weirdest. <laughs> menu. That was the thing that I'd ever eaten. Was pig uh, roof of mouth. Oh, tarantulas too. I, uh, you I ate never, tarantulas? Eat, uh, yeah, yeah. Not me. Never again. Letters. Never again. You haven't eaten anything crazy.
2: No, I mean, I've, I've in Copenhagen. I had a dish that was. Um, well, a couple different dishes. I mean, one was lamb eyeballs, very done in the very same way, but different. Yeah. Like
1: a chocolate of eyeball juice. Yeah, mm-hmm. and what
2: they did was though, they served with a pair of glasses, so they were like the two <laughs> <Wow>. eyes. <laughs> so the glasses are there, so you're staring at these two fried eyeballs, and you had to, you know,
1: obviously pop them in your mouth.
2: Wow. Live live ants uh, have eaten, eaten. Live uh, ants, yeah, yeah, live ants. but so actually, it tastes have the flavor of um of lemongrass, which is pretty incredible. Which wow. is
1: so why ant... we're serving pot roast at Retro. Exactly. Good pot roast <laughs> <laughs> and pasta.
2: Yeah. So anteaters apparently don't like the flavor of lemongrass that's why the ants have oh, that, you know that's a defense mechanism but they're really good they're tasty wow uh, just that's, make sure you get in your awesome. mouth i could talk to you guys face. for hours we Man. gotta wrap up but yeah. it's been a pleasure any closing thoughts just yeah. come
1: to ret- i mean we ended up here because you know one of your homies came to the restaurant and put this together and i think that that's mm-hmm. the story that uh we hope this restaurant helps us tell and you guys yeah. should pull up. Like yeah. that's it. He said it was a top five meal all time. Yeah, yeah. Well, he so. said
0: they got sixty percent of the things that were on the menu. You tried everything on there. That's why. I just
1: think Las Vegas is—it's the, the most exciting food city there is right now, mm-hmm. just because of the resources that we have here to do things the right way. And yeah. I think that there's going to be a lot more restaurants coming to Las Vegas. That I, I think it'll never stop here. Oh yeah, for the sure. The people here good. keep these restaurants going,
0: and we appreciate yeah. that so much. I'm cool with that. I live here, so I'm coming. <laughs> right, right, right. Go all way guys can follow me on instagram at the creator. sean kelly digital social hour thanks for tuning in guys see you next week peace